60% of physicians at this point are burnt out. And if you're burnt out, like you potentially don't want to continue the practice of medicine. And last year, about 10% of physicians left the practice of medicine. Welcome to the Immigrant Doctor Podcast, a podcast for financially focused immigrant physicians and other medical professionals looking to learn investing in the U.S. market and achieving financial freedom. Join Avishkar, the Immigrant Doctor, as he talks to high achievers and go-getters who unravel their journeys, hardships, and successes, helping you to get your financial freedom. To learn more, go to TheImmigrantDoctor.com. Folks, um, some of my guests may actually have, uh, you know, some mentorship programs. They may have some deals that they're working on, and uh, you might get interested in working with them. But uh, please bear in mind that I haven't done any due diligence on what they are offering, um, and you should do your own due diligence before you start working with them. Having said that, you know, these are very high-quality guests that I'm trying to bring on so that they can provide good value to you, and, you know, they're hardworking individuals, and they have... Uh, integrity when they work, but you should definitely do your own due diligence. Um, I I haven't done that due diligence on um, you know what their programs are, what their deals are. Um, so please do your due diligence. Um, I don't want to be held liable for anything that they are offering, and you join that program or that deal with them uh, because you heard it on my podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of the Immigrant Doctor Podcast. I have with me Dr. Elizabeth Chiang. Uh, you know, she's known as Elisa, and I know her through another group that we are a part of. She is an oculoplastic surgeon, and she's also a life coach. Um, you know, she works primarily with physicians to help them achieve financial freedom and basically take control of their money. And that's one of the reasons why I have her on uh, my show, because I thought this was a very important topic to discuss and kind of figure out what financial freedom is, kind of get into all of this money mindset, because I think all of this stuff starts in the mind. That's where everything begins. So I want to welcome Elisa. How are you doing? Great. Thanks so much for having me on. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, um, Elisa, let's talk about this. I want to start by talking about how you started your journey. Where, where did you start when you kind of became, you know, the surgeon and a you know, physician, you were earning a good income. Uh, what kind of made you go through these, uh, these, the cycle of kind of transitioning to life coaching and understanding this money mindset? And so I will say the money mindset actually started even before I became an attending. So that actually started during medical school. I did an MD-PhD program. And so okay. I knew I was probably going to be in the same city for eight years. And I was in Cleveland, Ohio, which has a, a fairly low cost of living. And I was married. So a lot of MD-PhDs actually did buy their own house. And in that process of buying my own home. So back then, they had all these different types of mortgage uh, products. And this was actually the downfall of 2008. Uh, I started medical school in 2002. So just in learning all those different financial products, I started really learning about personal finance and then investing and started investing really quite early. So that's where the money mindset actually came in. As a life coach, I actually discovered life coaching in 2020 as a result of the pandemic. So I was already kind of facing burnout in my job. I was doing 24-7 call as an acroplastic surgeon, which I had agreed to. And in acroplastics, our call is such that I mean, we had residents, so the residents would see the patients in the emergency room. They would staff them with me. I would set them up for surgery. It's not the type of thing where you have to go to the OR overnight. You can usually schedule it a few days out. But my 
direct supervisor wanted me go to go to the ER to see these patients. He said the resident was enough. And I was like, as a fellow, I didn't go to the ER except <laughs> under, you know, extreme circumstances, right? So, and then it was just a when I did have to operate uh, on an inpatient, I would I didn't have inpatient block time, and I get blocked and like spend like the entire weekend waiting to go to the OR. And and then when I went on vacation, like I literally still had to take call. I was still literally having the oh, residents wow. call me, and and so there was also just a lot of lack of autonomy and really faced burnout from that standpoint. I discovered coaching through the Leverage and Growth Summit, the first one that Peter Kim did in 2020. That's where I heard Sonny Smith speak. I started right. listening to a Life Coach School podcast, uh, joined their self-coaching scholars. And then because it was the pandemic, I just had so much extra time on my hands. I didn't have a social life anymore. I wasn't going out so much. And uh, when certification came out, I thought, well, I'm just going to do certification to really learn the skills even better and be able to self-coach myself better. But then I really found that I really enjoyed life coaching mm. because obviously it's part of certification. You have to actually work on coaching other people. Sure. And, and so from that st standpoint, I, that's when I decided to go into life coaching as well as just because of my background with money and mm. investing. I mean, I was a, a person in residency that was trying to get all my co-residents to put money into the Roth IRA. I was trying to explain how important it was to invest early. And I definitely think among physicians, there's a sense, at least during medical school and residency, that, oh, we'll make enough. Like, money will fix itself. Like, even though we have six-figure loans, it's fine. Doctors make lots of money. We'll be able to pay them off, live a great life. And it's not that that's not true, but you actually have to learn how to manage your money for that to happen. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that's a very important concept of managing money. Um, what are some of the emotional challenges that come along with it, especially what do you see in your clients uh, who you, you know, coach on mindset uh, around money? What are the challenges that they face with money? Definitely fear of losing money, especially these days where the market's not been doing so great, right? There was a time when the market kept going up and up and then it felt great. And then now I think there's a lot of interest in, in real estate uh, investment and the real estate has appreciated quite a bit until just recently with interest rates going up, it becomes harder and harder to find something to cash flow. You have to look that much harder. And you know, and then the other thing is really just physicians really tying time with money, working hard for more money, thinking like if I need or if I want to earn more, if I want to make more money, that I have to work harder or work more hours or see more patients instead of actually trying to de-link time and effort with actual income and having money come in. Yeah, I think that's a very, a very important concept to understand that uh, while time is money, there's a way to multiply time. So that you're making more money, um, or let me rephrase it another way. It's actually making more time available to you uh, by offloading some of the work. And and I'm curious of what your what your thought process is when you talk to people about you know about all of this. Yeah. So we're sometimes as physicians kind of stuck in almost a dollar per hour type of thing. Or gosh, I worked so many hours to make this much money. If I want to make more, I have to work more. And really, the first thing to do is like, well, how can you be more efficient? How can you earn more while working less? And that might be delegating some of the things that might be paying someone else to do something at a lower level. So if you can pay someone 15, 20, $25 an hour to do something that gets it off your plate, so then now you can be earning 200, 300, $500, $1,000 an hour, like you do that all day long, right? Or if you can hire someone like a scribe to speed you up so you can see more patients in the same amount of time with even less effort because you're not doing on the charting, 
that can speed you up and get you more income for the same amount of time by leveraging other people. Yeah, and um, it's important to understand because a lot of times, you know, we as physicians kind of feel like, well, this is this is something that I can do. Why do I need to spend money on this? Or why do I need to get higher help for this? I can just do it myself. But that comes at a cost, and that cost is time that you're spending on it, which you could actually end up uh, spending doing a higher value task, which would actually get you more money than what saving than what you would save over here doing this X Y Z task. Right, and especially if you don't enjoy the task. So if you don't enjoy cleaning, like have someone else clean so that you can either have more time with your family, have more time having fun, having more time enjoying life, or have more time working to make more money in order to clean, you know, pay that cleaner. So, I mean, there's a balance between the two. If you do buy time back and just work more, that doesn't necessarily increase happiness. But if you use some of that time to kind of pay back what your work, uh, what you're spending to get that time and then other time, doing things that you enjoy, then you can increase happiness with money. So money doesn't necessarily buy you happiness, but there are ways to spend money that can increase your happiness level. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, you know, interested in uh, knowing your thoughts about this happiness and, and money. You know, we, it's, it's a cliched uh, concept, so to say, well, it, not really, because it, it is true um, that money doesn't buy you happiness. But I would love to, uh, you know, hear what, what your clients feel about this and how you kind of uh, deal with this issue of, you know, happiness and then having enough money or financial freedom. So I've coached physicians on all sorts of the spectrum when it comes to income range, and physicians do really range in income, right? The average physician makes around three hundred thousand some dollars, but there are physicians making, you know, one hundred fifty thousand dollars working point eight to full time, and there are physicians making seven hundred thousand, even a million dollars, like on their physician job as actual income. So the the range is really broad, and I want to say the range is broader within a specialty than it is between specialties. So I hear all the time primary care doctors, pediatricians saying, well, I'm in a low-paying specialty. Well, there are pediatricians that make $150,000 a year, and there are pediatricians that make $400,000 a year. So there might not be any million-dollar income pediatricians, (laughs) but I mean, it is like a really large difference. And so what makes that large difference? A lot of it is what else are you willing to do? So the pediatricians who typically make at the higher range have their own practices and are building their practice. And so they're really a business owner, not just a pediatrician. I don't want, I actually want to take that back. I hate saying just anything, just uh, because being a pediatrician is a great thing. It's not just, it's not belittling. But those who are making more are doing more than clinical work. They're actually on the business side so that they're actually maximizing collections, max, uh, maximizing profit, bringing in other things that can be profitable. Things like ear piercing, which doesn't sound like, oh, I'm a physician. Why would I have ear piercing in my office? Well, if you're a pediatrician, you have the perfect clientele to have ear piercing. It can be really profitable. And it's not that you're necessarily doing the ear piercing. You're just offering as a service that you can charge a premium for. Yeah, I think it's about wearing the business uh, business hat versus wearing the clinical hat. And I think uh, if you have your own private practice, it's like two different hats that you're wearing at the same time. Um, but but in terms of you know money tied to happiness, and I think that's a very very um, important aspect of all of this because I think uh, money is one of the biggest stressors that people have in their lives. How, how do you sort of delink this, or how do you help people kind of? get to their level of happiness? Because I think at the end of the day, it's all about 
whatever we're doing is we're doing for our happiness. So how, how do you help people with that? Yeah, thanks for bringing me back on topic because like, I don't went on a tangent. But yeah, so <laughs> you see wealthier people are not necessarily happier. There are a lot of multimillionaires, even billionaires who are unhappy. So extreme amounts of money is not what's going to bring you happiness. That being said, not having enough money to uh, some point will bring essentially unhappiness, right? If you don't have enough money to have a comfortable living, to have security for food, shelter, you know, kind of all those basic needs. And there have been actual studies that show, you know, what the cutoff is. There was one older study that was around $75,000 for an individual. There's a newer study where it's more uh, closer to 110000 for people in North America. That newer study was actually done worldwide. And yes, it was just all of North America. It, it didn't differentiate San Francisco from Cleveland. So different cost of living areas. But once you get to the point where you can have, you know, a decent place to live, you can afford food, you can afford shelter, you can have all those basic things, then at that point, more money doesn't necessarily bring more happiness. So what does bring more happiness is really how you're using that money to some extent. So if you feel secure with your money, that feeling is actually not about how much money you have, but how you actually think about your money. And then again, like we talked about, like buying back time for money. So if you buy back your time by hiring someone to do your laundry, to do your cleaning, to do your cooking, whatever you're outsourcing in your life, if you spend that time doing something that actually brings you joy, that is fun, that is meaningful to you, then that can really bring more happiness to your life. Folks, I just wanted to remind you, if you haven't done that already, head on over to www.theimmigrantdoctor.com. Uh, I have created a free video resource for you guys. It's a small course that I've created on investing in real estate. It's not very extensive, but it just gives you a flavor of what investing in real estate looks like um, so that you can get started, get more comfortable with the terms around real estate and get more comfortable with some of the facets of real estate. So go to www.theimmigrantdoctor.com to download this free resource. Yeah, and um, you know this this kind of uh, ties into my next question is... Um, what is financial freedom then and how do, how should people look at financial freedom um, in terms of uh, what they're trying to you know set their goals as is it like a dollar value or is it um, a mindset um, that they're looking at I think it's a little bit of both. So financial freedom is really when you have enough money that you can cover your basic living without necessarily have to bringing in income from from like a W2 or 1099 or you trading literally trading time for money having kind of like the day job, so to speak. So I, some it is linked to like financial independence. And sometimes I talk about different levels of financial independence, right? You've got the financial independence where like, yes, you could live, you could live frugally, you would be fine, but you can't go on luxury trips to Europe, for example. But that doesn't matter because you could still take camping vacations or, you know, uh, less expensive type of ex- uh, vacations because you've got plenty of time to, do whatever you want, right? Uh, and, right? and in all honesty, traveling Europe doesn't have to be luxury for you to enjoy it. You can slow right. travel, you can stay in the same place and like actually rent an apartment so that it's not necessarily all that expensive to go to. I mean, I traveled to Europe when I was in medical school, grad school, residency, right? But I'm, you know, did it at a slightly lower uh, rate than I'm doing it now. But I mean, if, if the point is really the experiences, and it, and there are studies that show that people tend to have more happiness when they spend money on experiences versus on material items, right? So 
you know, that's one way to look at it. Then you can have um, just financial independence where, yes, you could continue your current lifestyle indefinitely without having to work. And then some people call talk about like fat fire, um, fire being financial independence, retire early. And again, you don't have to retire early. So that's also, I think, how I differentiate financial freedom from uh, fire is that once you are finding, once you really have financial freedom, then you can do whatever you want, right? Money is not the primary aspect of what you're after. You're no longer kind of handcuffed to your job. So a lot of times I, f- I see physicians feeling like they have golden handcuffs on, right? Like they can't leave their job because they need money to live on. They need to pay their bills. And they don't even necessarily think, well, I could find a different job. And sometimes it can be harder for physicians because we have a non-compete and it, you right. know, it, so we may have to wait out the non-compete. We may not want to do locums in order to wait it out. We might be very established in our community. So I'm not saying that there aren't hardships to switching to a new job. But depending on how bad things are, like don't stay miserable at your job just because you're looking for that paycheck. Find some way out. And it may be, okay, you stay at that job, but you start to really save and invest and invest in things like cash flow so that you can start to replace some of your income so that you can actually see how you can get out or maybe even just cutting back your jobs and maybe you won't be so miserable if you're working you know, 0. 0.8, 0. 0.6 FTEs as opposed to working a full FTE. So there are many ways around this. Yeah, I think uh, it all ties down for me to you know needs and wants. Like if you're spending money um, on your needs and you have some left over, yeah, sure, spend it on your wants. But um, I think it's about um, scaling your needs um, to a point where you know you're not overspending or overstretching yourself, so that you're kind of tied to a particular job or a particular profession, um, and you have to work those hours because you have to meet the other obligations. And and I think it it uh, it kind of dials you know it it, uh, it it and you know it's kind of like talking about what really do you need? What are the core needs that you have? And then really focusing on making sure that those are fulfilled and understanding that differentiation between what you want and understanding what are the limitations with with whatever you know your situation is right now. Yeah, and I think it's not just needs because sometimes we think we need something. You really have to look at like, do you really need that? Do you really need a million dollar house, or would a five hundred thousand dollar house really be sufficient for your family? And then also looking your values. What where do you really place your values? For me, a car just needs to be reliable and get me from place to place. But there are some people who just absolutely love cars. They love joy riding their car. And a, you know, a certain level of car speed, acceleration, I don't know car terms, but uh, <laughs> you know that does bring happiness. And so that might be a place that you spend more money on, but that means that maybe you're spending less money on, on a big house. And I do think that uh, housing is, you know, generally our own primary residence can uh, be the largest expense that we have. And yeah. if you think about liabilities, it generally is our largest liability because if you're buying other real estate, hopefully you're buying an asset, right? And real estate well, tends well, to be among the, the most yeah, expensive yeah, things yeah, let, you buy. Yeah, let's talk about this because I think there's a there's a big, um, you know, this huge concept of a house being an asset or a liability, and and how do you how do you help people? Or do you do you have people kind of facing this challenge of whether this is an asset or considering uh, considering it as an asset versus a liability? In my opinion, you know, it's an asset because of the happiness that it brings to you, but in financial terms, to me, it's a liability. 
Uh, where do you stand on this? Yeah, financially, it's a liability because it's taking money out of your pocket. You have to spend for maintenance, for upkeep. And yes, you do need to live somewhere, but we tend to, I mean, and our primary residence does tend to appreciate, but appreciation is somewhat speculation. And yes, we'll potentially do forced renovation because we want a nicer kitchen and things like that. But we're also using that. And and so that forced appreciation doesn't necessarily keep up with time, depending on how long we're in there. But the longer we're in there, there's more appreciation. So I'm not saying that your primary residence is not an asset at all. But you don't want to think about, okay, I'm going to buy more house because I'm buying more assets that way. When you look at building wealth, building wealth is about buying assets, but not buying more primary residence. Right. Yeah, I think there's a point at which um, buying more stuff for the house kind of uh, limits the amount of appreciation that it's going to see anyway. And um, and so so you have to be very cognizant of that. Um, sure, if you're investing in your if in your happiness by having a certain the house a certain way or putting something in, absolutely, you should go ahead and do that. But in you know, you have to also be cognizant that that is a financial liability uh, more than an asset at that point in time. Um, but how, how do people, uh, how should people think about, you know, financial freedom? What What are the key principles that they should think about? Say somebody is just coming out of residency or somebody is starting a new job and, um, and they want to kind of dial into this uh, concept of financial freedom. They're like, we want to get to a point where we are comfortable in our lives we don't have to stress about money, and then we're we're picking and choosing, uh, you know, things that we do and we want to do uh, on our own terms. So, so how should people think about those concepts, or you know, find a path to financial freedom? So the first is definitely financial literacy. You can't have financial freedom if you don't understand money, because by not understanding money, you're not ever going to feel safe and secure about what to do if you were to lose money. Right. So learning about investments, learning where to put them, what um, compound interest is so much in your favor. So the earlier you can invest, the better. And also debt management. So debt needs to be managed, not necessarily eliminated. Debt can really be a great leverage source depending on what you're doing. When you invest in real estate, debt can be so helpful for growing your wealth, but it is a double-edged sword because if you find that the real estate you purchased actually ends up losing value, then that that debt leverages your loss just like it leverages your gains. So debt needs to be managed and not eliminated. If you've got low interest rate debt, like if you've got a mortgage at 2.5%, there's no reason to really pay that off faster unless right. it really is just your security of like owning your home. But again, that's mindset, right? If you can feel secure in the fact that like I've got plenty of assets to cover my mortgage payments and at 2.5%, it's lower than inflation by quite a bit. So the longer I keep that debt, the less that debt actually is, then you change your mindset in how you're actually looking at that debt, that it's okay to hold debt. But you do want to look at the debt you're holding. You don't want to be holding high interest rate like credit card debt, but you know, it also depends if you're having that credit card debt because you're investing in your business and it's right. growing fast and it's growing faster than the interest rate of that credit card debt, that might actually still be good debt. So you really need to compare what returns you're getting on your investments versus the return that or the interest rate that you're paying for debt, because that's what debt is. It's money that you've paid yeah. for. You're, you're buying money and you're paying the interest rate. And that's the cost of the money that you're buying. Right, right, right. And, and, you know, it's it's important to understand it's about managing your finances. 
um, in a way that you come out positive eventually from it, uh, even though you know may have you may have some debts short term, but in the long term you need to come out positive. Um, now, what I what you know, what is your philosophy on investing? Say, say somebody comes to you and talks to you about you know I have this much money I'm earning. Like, do you have a set like a specific formula that they say, okay, at least this much you should be investing, and you know these are the varied asset classes that you you should probably be investing in. Or how do you how do you coach your clients around uh, around investments and and you know uh, money allocation so to say yeah so it's not a one-size-fits-all type of model I think first it's actually really important to look at what the person's financial goals are right so retirement financial freedom financial independence I think should be a goal for all of us because eventually we're not going to want to work or not be able to work and whether that's age 50s 60, 65, 70, 75, however far you want to push it, there's going to be some point where you're not going to want to work anymore or you can't work, like I said, um, and things can come up. So there is the investing for the future. Then there might be some investment for, say, children's education. Uh, you want to pay for your children's college. Or even you want to take this bucket list vacation and that's something big that you're actually going to need to save and potentially even invest for. So like one thing for me was that I really wanted to go to Antarctica. I set, I wrote down as a goal in 2010 when mm -hmm. I graduated um, at school that I would go to Antarctica by 2020. And going to Antarctica is a very expensive endeavor, even for an attending physician. Uh, you know, one uh, per person, just the cruise ten, is, is like $10,000. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. plus flying to Argentina, plus like hotels and uh, and you know I mean so yeah it, it, even terms of vacations it's I uh, and you know I did actually book Argent um, to go to Antarctica December 2020 but unfortunately the pandemic kind of canceled that oh, no. so, <laughs> so I'm going this year so it is going to happen oh wow uh, but Great. but you know just to look at like what all, what are all your actual financial goals and and then also looking at protecting your assets so our one of our greatest assets as a physician is our ability to work as a physician and so that means protecting that and that means disability insurance but that also means investing in our self-care to some standpoint because you know, 60% of physicians at this point are burnt out. And if you're burnt out, like you p potentially don't want to continue the practice of medicine. And last year, about 10% of physicians left the practice of medicine. So protecting that asset. So that's, I think, where to start with. And then the next thing is really looking at the reality of your situation. And that's going to include your age, how many years you think you're going to work, what your current income is, how much you can save of that, what kind of expenses that you have that you can pare back versus ones that are kind of fixed at the point that you're at. And then from there, looking at like, okay, what can we do? How can we actually best manage to get your, to your financial goals within the time frame you have. And if your time frame is small and you don't have much, that might mean that you have to be really aggressive. And so then we have to talk about what are you willing to do, right? So if you're 60 and you have a net worth of $500,000, which unfortunately I have seen as a case for some physicians, then wow. if you want to retire on that lifestyle that you are living, which 
you were probably living usually a fairly good lifestyle that you're spending most of your physician income all this time and you haven't been investing it, then you're going to really need to be aggressive on potentially cutting back on your current lifestyle so you have money to invest and potentially getting into active real estate investing because that's probably the fastest way for you to make the most cash flow in order if, if the goal is retirement at 65 and you've got a net worth of 500000 at 60, like that's quite a bit of cash flow that you're going to uh, have to produce, but it is actually possible with active real estate investing, but it's not possible with investing in the stock market. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm glad we're talking about uh, retirement because the way I look at this concept of retirement is not necessarily uh, not doing anything and just sitting at home because honestly, I would get bored sitting at home all day. But I think it's about, again, I think it ties into financial freedom, having enough um, assets or enough uh, investments bringing you passive income, so to say, um, to give you the flexibility and the ability to do what you want to do without having to worry about the money that comes in. And so really... Uh, living to your fullest potential. And that's how I look at retirement. Um, and, you know, I want to talk about burnout because that is such an important thing um, that is impacting the physician community now. And I'm sure it's not just the physicians. I'm sure that burnout exists in other professions as well. And how do you see that tying into uh, financial freedom and this money mindset that people have? Yeah, burnout is definitely prevalent, not just among physicians, all of healthcare, and even like the tech industry. I know lots of people in tech that are burnt out, lawyers that are burnt out. If you go to many professions, I think there is high levels of burnout, typically probably more in service-oriented professions, but I think all professions have potentially some possibility of having burnout. So yes, so important. Uh, and when it comes to burnout, so there's uh, typically th three things that... Uh, are associated with burnout. And the first is just exhaustion, and that's mental and physical exhaustion. So if you're feeling exhausted all the time at work, like that's something that you want to notice and pay attention to. Uh, the, another thing is cynicism or feeling lack of achievement or accomplishment, feeling like your job isn't really, um, you know, adding to the greater good type of thing, that it's, right. that, you know, what you do doesn't matter. I mean, that definitely contributes to burnout. Uh, and third is actually escaping my mind at the moment, but um, but you can see how even just those two things like a lot that can yeah. be prevalent in just a <laughs> lot of things. So so how do you refill your cup, right? How do you if it's physical exhaustion, maybe it is that you need more rest. If it's mental exhaustion, like how do you refill that cup? And if you're an introvert and you're doing something where you're with people all the all the time, that might mean finding time to spend by yourself and being and fill your <clears throat> excuse me, uh, being able to fill your cup that way. Um, yeah, and I think it, it ties into into this money mindset and, and financial freedom because um, that can be a big stressor, right? Like running after money or chasing money constantly can lead you to be, uh, you know, can, and can force you to actually work for those longer hours, which in turn will lead to this burnout. And, and it's kind of, that's where you kind of understand how much value are you bringing to yourself um, by doing whatever you're doing, and do you need to either scale back or transition into something else so that you are living your fullest life? Yeah, I coached one physician, so he was an MD-PhD, and so he did research and clinical work, and he really enjoyed the clinical work, so he didn't want to give that up, but his position was that it was still mostly research, and there was no way for him to really cut down, but then he was doing, like, these chart reviews because he was paid so much per, like, he's like, well, I've gotten faster than them, so, like, I make so much more than I kind of make per hour of my day job, but, you know, I... I can't cut back my day job and then he was like doing something something else and I was just like okay 
you say you want to spend time with your kids and your family and that you're working too much, but you're taking on all these other jobs that yes, maybe it pays well. But if you're saying that you, there's no way for you to cut back at your nine to five kind of day job type of situation, and you really love the clinical work and you don't want to give that up, then maybe you got to give up the, the chart review or whatever other uh, side thing he was doing. Even if it it feels very profitable to you, at some point, is the money more important or is the time more important? Because there's only so much time you want to be spending on working. So I would say like, once you get to a certain point of number of hours worked a week, then every additional hour you work, you have to kind of get paid more and more to make it worth working that more and more. And I I think a lot of people are just like, oh no, if I can... just if I can make $500 an hour here, but I'm only making $250 an hour as a, uh, as a physician, then of course I want the $500 hour job. It's like, well, maybe you don't because maybe you don't want to actually be working all those extra hours. Maybe an hour of leisure time is worth $600 an hour or $700 an hour or $1,000 an hour, or it's there's nothing, no amount of money that could actually buy that because you have enough from your day job that the more money isn't actually going to bring you any more happiness, but it is leading you to burnout. Yeah, and that's that's the whole you know, idea of you have a, a minimum amount, and so the happiness is not necessarily tied to the to the amount of money that you're earning beyond a certain point. And, and so it's important to understand that money is not the end all be all, uh, but certainly a, uh, you know a certain amount is necessary for you to kind of meet your needs and uh, get to that level of being happy. Yeah, money is really a tool and it's a tool to be used. And like any tool, it can be used to produce great results and it can be used to produce negative results. Very cool, very cool. Well, Alisa, this was a very fun conversation. And so I would love to know what you're doing in your business right now with coaching and uh, and how can people reach you? Yeah, so I primarily do one-on-one coaching. And so I work with physicians one-to-one. We usually meet for about 45 to 50 uh, minutes over Zoom and we set up in the very beginning, we, we go through that process. And so I call that grow. G for uh, goals, like setting your goals. R for looking at the reality of your situation. O for options. What are you willing to do? Um, and that's the W. Um, so looking at all the different options that you have and then what you're willing to do. So that's grow. And my brand is Grow Your Wealthy Mindset. So you can find me at growyourwealthymindset.com. I'm also on Facebook under my own name. I also have a business Facebook page, uh, but I'm not necessarily active on that because that doesn't get shown to anyone. If anyone knows, Facebook is a pay, pay-to-play type of platform. I'm also on Instagram at Grow Your Wealthy Mindset. And if you go to my website, you can actually download a freebie, which is the Financial Freedom Workbook. And that really starts to teach you the first um, crunching the numbers and looking at where you are currently and looking at kind of what you would need in order to get to financial freedom in terms of investing in if you're doing a traditional stock or uh, bond portfolio. And it's it gets a little bit into if you start doing real estate investing, like you can put in cash flow if you're getting uh, – just cash flow from either syndications or passive investments, or uh, you do have active real estate that's giving you cash flow. But with real estate, it can get a little bit more complicated. So that's where potentially working with me could be helpful to actually figure all that out. Very cool. Very cool. Well, it was fun having you on the show, Elisa. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me to be on. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Immigrant Doctor Podcast. If you would like to learn more, head to www.theimmigrantdoctor.com. See you again soon on another episode and another amazing journey.